This is an AI Group podcast. AI Group has prepared a series of papers that consider how best Australia can recover, rebuild and reposition for a stronger and better economy and society beyond this pandemic. These papers contain recommendations across many fundamental areas of public policy to help achieve these ambitions. Today, we'll be providing a snapshot of our proposals around industry development, and I'm talking to AI Group's Head of Policy, Dr. Peter Byrne. Okay, Peter, we'll get right into it. Um, We'll speak for about 10 minutes or so and go through some of the key measures here. So industry development, um, the subtext is towards a greater resilience, higher productivity and more diverse opportunities. But when industry thinks of industry development, they'd be thinking of it as their responsibility. Where do you draw that line and where does the government need to support industry in this? Yeah, well, it is overwhelmingly industry or a business issue, um, they've got to make the investments and employ the people and um, allocate resources between different um, alternatives. However, there are a number of areas where governments can assist this process, move it along, um, spread the benefits and get the economy moving um, a little bit faster than it would otherwise do. So particularly in the area of SMEs, governments can uh, intervene to build capabilities or help them build capabilities. And we've got some great programs um, around that. So the Entrepreneurs Program is a good one. So governments can help businesses, particularly SMEs, who don't have a lot of time on on their hands, they can't afford specialist expertise, but they can, uh, governments can jump in and say, well, uh, let's let's fund someone to have a look at your business and give you some suggestions about how to improve it. So that's a very simple one, and providing information to SMEs and helping them on the journey of improving their businesses is a very big, uh, an area of great possibility. Okay. What about so COVID's exposed huge vulnerabilities in you know everyone knows about the mar- the lack of masks and the lack of ventilators and many other things, and I believe also. If we get a vaccine, there's a we don't even make needles here. So how can the government, you know, how can the government help industry better prepare for such future crises as one we're seeing now? Well, the fundamental way that it can do that is to um, do its bit towards list, lifting the capability of industry, and so that's a general thing about encouraging investment, informing businesses about opportunities, and doing some of the other things that we'll talk about a little bit later. The other thing in this area is that the COVID um, uh, crisis it became apparent that you know we were very vulnerable across a, a number of areas. So, personal protective equipment, um, some medicines, perhaps um, just masks, this sort of thing. We didn't do the, we didn't have them. They weren't ready. What have we needed a massive increase in these? Um, and so there was a bit of a panic because at that stage a lot of the sources of production were disrupted because China was hit so hard early. So there's probably a case for governments to jump in and say, let's build up capability in this area just in case. It does that in the defence area, for example. So we have a pretty good um, defence industry in Australia and part of it is built around the idea that we need to do some stuff here for national security purposes. Well, in the health area, there's probably a case to say that we could do 
Um, we could b build greater preparedness into our economy by building some capabilities and so this is the idea of, I guess there's a double idea. One is economic sovereignty, uh, but the other side of things is preparedness. So some people say we really should have a much better oil reserve, for example. Industry should be do that and government would need to back it up. And the defence industry is another example of that. So is it economic sovereignty or preparedness? Well, we'd probably go for the idea of building resilience and really that is what... Covers both of those things. It covers them both. And economic sovereignty is sort of an extreme response. That's one way you could manage those risks. Uh, it's got a lot of downsides and it's clearly not appropriate in some circumstances. Are there other ways to manage those risks? Yes, there are. And if they make more sense, if they're cheaper, more efficient, we might as well go for them rather than try and pretend that we can do everything here, which, of course, we can't. Okay. So you mentioned before the industry uh, programs, the entrepreneurs program, and there are various other advisor programs. What, you know, what, what are we saying should happen with these programs? You want more of them? You want more investment or different programs? Saying two things. One is that the scope to build on, build on those programs, extend existing programs. So the entrepreneurs program does a lot of work. It could do more. I mean, it's certainly a well-worked-out well, um, system. And you could add resources to that and cover off more businesses. That would be a very positive step. In addition, a lot of the states and territories have their own business advisory programs or they work with SMEs to increase their capability. We could do much better by linking up, just um, linking up more, the range of programs in this area, which are under whatever jurisdiction it is, um, and making sure that we're getting best use of the resources, that we're not duplicating, and also that would help us identify gaps in that business capability area. And if we could do that, uh, then uh, you know, we could, for example, have a more, uh, a more comprehensive um, approach to building digital capabilities among businesses. At the moment, such and such a program, very good in New South Wales. Uh, some Commonwealth programs, quite good in this space. But um, if those agencies were talking together and had an eye on what was offered in other parts of the Federation, whether by Commonwealth or the states, and they could sit down and say, well, that's a good idea, why don't we try it there? Or nothing's on show in Western Australia in this area, why don't we duplicate that and get the Western Australian government on board? I think that there's a lot to be done by just increasing the investment and just increasing the degree of coordination across the Federation. When you're talking about coordination, it, it brings to mind I had a call from a member company who couldn't understand how they could get into procurement in New South Wales, so we put him onto the Industry Capability Network. And that, that could bring, you know, opens up doors because it, they know the connections and help member companies do that. Do we want to get a bigger role for those industry capability networks as a front door? I think that they can play a very good um, role across in that coordination space. I think that it would be a great role for them to do. And they themselves could be could do with a bit of digital enhancement sometimes. Um, and certainly joining them up so that um, if no firm exists in Western Australia that could do something, well, we, why don't we just look in the New South Wales database and see whether anything could happen, even the Victorian one. That's right. I mean, it's a, there's a lot there. And you mentioned digitisation. 
And that's another one of the recommendations in this policy paper that companies need to get better at digital. What can they do in that regard? Yeah, they do. And, and a lot of companies are, are very active in this area and really don't need any government involvement in what they're doing. But particularly at the smaller end, um, there's a lot of a lot of mystification around where they do. Where do they start? And a lot of people think they've got to have a comprehensive digital plan before they start. Well, that's not what the advice says. The advice says is just find something you want to, you can digitise, do that, and then build up from there. So I think that some people are just hesitant because of the possible scope of what they could do, and then they don't take that first step, which might just be a simple thing. So some people listening to this might say, well, the government should just pick winners and focus on growth sectors and and you know put their investments all in those sort of baskets. What do you think of that? Um, governments aren't great at doing that. Um, sometimes they get it right, but mostly they don't get it right. And the the big thing is that when they pick winners and direct resources towards what it thinks what they think will be successful. We're sucking resources away from everyone else. And that everyone else includes a lot of businesses that are in areas where no one's thinking has got a, have got a help, hope in hell. So we know of a business which is fantastic. It's, got a, it's growing very rapidly. It's got a thorough um, research base. It's linked into global supply chains. It's doing everything right. It's on a high growth path. It's made lots of investments. But it's in the textile sector. And no one ever thinks of the textile sector as something that Australia is going to excel at. But if we hadn't backed that company, if that com company didn't have the opportunities because everyone was looking elsewhere in the high-tech sector or something, we wouldn't have that, that, that opportunity open. We wouldn't have people employed in those factories. Um, governments just miss too much. And... Um, I think it's better to invest in capabilities. So instead of thinking about what we are good at and trying to define that, we should invest in things so that we can do whatever we are good at. And that leads on to research. So how can we help these companies? I'm sure that example you gave then, there would have been a lot of R&D that went into them being able to produce something competitive with somewhere like China. So how can we better support business research and you know, innovation, the R&D tax concession that people, that changes every year. A lot of members have trouble accessing it. But what can we do in this area? Yeah, so that's a big area. And here we've got a big case for government intervention. First of all, we've got a very big public sector research um, expertise. You know, we've got universities, we've got the CSIRO, we've got a whole lot of um, public sector organisations that do research. But that's really controlled by the public sector and requires them to be active in encouraging those sectors to work with businesses and in making sure that businesses are aware of what's going on in those um, ivory towers and so can see whether there are opportunities for collaboration. We've moved a long way in the past decade, really, in increasing business research collaboration and we've learned a lot on the way and there are a lot of um, networks that have been formed and really we ought to be keeping going down that track, extending those networks, linking the networks up is another thing, making a point of learning from mistakes and um, looking at what's worked well in different parts. 
that's the public sector side of it. The, the other side of it is business research and development. You spoke about the tax incentive. The, um, since around about 2008, um, Australia has started to fiddle around with its tax incentive and, as you say, it's changed it almost in a continual way since then. And it's been a confused process, it's been poorly communicated, the objectives have been obscure. As a result of that, business research and development, investments in business and research and development have fallen. And there's just too much uncertainty around that tax incentive. So what can they do with the tax incentive to make it better used and a bit more effective? I think the first thing they can do is to recognise why it makes sense from a public policy point of view to support business research and development. And that largely is because businesses adding to scientific knowledge are creating something that they're not going to get the full value from themselves. So if they're not going to get the full value from it themselves, they will underinvest from a society-wide point of view. And so Australia has, since the 1980s, have provided that tax incentive as a means of making up for that more widespread benefit that flows out of business research and development. The so there's a good, well-established case for government involvement, but there's a hesitance on the part of some of the central agencies about whether it's worth anything or not. Well, I think that they ought to be looking more broadly. So committing to it and then um, being prepared to uh, allocate those funds and then making sure that the system is stable and that businesses can plan long-term research projects around that stable system is fundamentally important. At the moment, businesses are face another set of changes and have been asked to put in their research and development um, applications. And at the same time, both the tax office and the industry department are saying to them, oh, and by the way, if the law changes, we might go have to go back and re-look re at your tax assessment. So that's just an appalling situation. And we're lobbying against that. Oh, we're very... We and many others are very busy advocating that that retrospective element of that change at least not be taken up. And um, indeed that the, the changes currently before the Parliament aren't, aren't um, pursued at all. Excellent. Well, this has just been a snapshot of this industry development paper, uh, one of our big series of policy papers during this pandemic. And for more of those, go to aigroup.com.au and you'll find the papers there, but also if you want to make any comments or contribute to developing these further, please do so. Please email to the addresses provided there at aigroup.com.au. Thanks to Dr Peter Byrne. Thank you. That's all for now.